Man, I can't thank you enough for doing this. Thank you for having me. Oh, it took a while to coordinate it. You know, you're a hard guy to pin down. You travel a lot. I do. Life is a little crazier then. I think it's a little more settled for you somewhat, right? Well, they still get out of the box. You're going to walk around a little bit. So Fair enough. I'm out of the box. So. so a bunch of stuff I want to talk about, Colin. But first off, how about this? So what's up with the balloons, man? Like, what is this shit in the sky that keeps coming that they won't tell us what it is? I mean, what is your Actually, opinion? Not, What's your opinion on it? Too, I'm not not too sure what it was. I was on a cruise when it all came out, so I wasn't all over the news. I didn't see what they had on the news. I just was reading what I could read on social media about it, and you take that and minus 500, and you still get two. So my opinion on the balloon is we have satellites. We have satellites have been doing the same shit. Why are we acting like it's the 13th century and thinking balloons are going to pick up more than what satellites every country has or mm-hmm. has access to? So they're making a big deal about flying over military installations, and they have satellites have been staring at our military installations. Right. So, I, I mean, I, I'd like to see what comes out of it. I mean, mm-hmm. I really don't know. I don't know enough on the subject to speak. But do I think they need to be flying over our country? No. I mean, if me and you was out there with a a drone uh-huh. and we were flying around video whatever we want and we got too high uh-huh. and we, chances are we are getting a little bit of trouble so Probably. I mean why are we going to let this thing go clear across the United States before we do anything about it but I understand the concept get it over waters preserve whatever data we can get without it crashing to the earth save American lives mm-hmm. but they just keep coming. My question is, have they always kind of been there? We just now, it's an it's issue now? It's the first I've heard of it. So, I mean, if they've always been there, I didn't know about it. Yeah, like anybody did. Right. But it's funny how they've we've uncovered, like, I think today they shot the fourth one down. Right, I've heard that. Like, so, it, I mean, that, and then, of course, you know, the information that a public has to be, I'm sure, carefully disseminated. Right. The frustration is now we're not getting any uh, – well, the, the news is telling us we're not getting any answers. Well, I mean, isn't that the last 10 years? Well, we don't really get any Touché. answers out of anybody. Touche. But Touché. Look at, I look at it like this. It, you know, we made a big deal when the Patriots head coach was supposed to be cheating, but if he just got caught. So is this the first time somebody actually seen the balloon? And, you know, <laughs> so who knows? Uh-huh. I just think um, it's just fascinating because when they don't tap down, when the government does not ta- does not tap down rumors and does not tap down potentialities, they fester. Especially after twenty twenty, everything's off the table now. Right? Yeah. We half the society believes aliens exist. I might be included in that. I don't know, but but when they don't tap down the fact that it's not aliens, we can't tell you exactly what it is yet. But it, don't panic; it's not aliens. When they don't do that, of course, people are going to speculate and go nuts. Right. I mean, they still think uh, DeMar Hamlin's a ghost walking around here. So. I just saw that today, man. Yeah. And it's like, I was listening to a local station, The Fan. They were having a field day with it. It just, I, mean, I well, we live in a cartoon land, wouldn't you agree? This is a cartoon. Definitely. I mean. We are living in a caricature of a world we used to know. I, get, I promise you that. All right. I want to unwind some things. Um, you went to Moon High School. You graduated in 93, is that right? Yes, sir. Okay, and you entered the military about a year after that, is that correct? Yep. Roughly? Roughly. Okay. 95, I left, got on a boat, sailed over to my basic training, 
Okay. And where was your basic training? Fort Benning, Georgia. Okay. So there's the Georgia connection. Okay. And you – no, explain to me how that works. You, you, you Through a prior conversation, you mentioned it was a different kind of uh, enlistment. You had flexibility there? Well, yeah. That, that entered in a delayed entry, so I'm not – I don't know enough about how the recruiters do it anymore. Um, I re- when I joined – I joined with, uh, I think, up to 12 months, I believe. I signed the papers, went in a delayed entry program where I'm supposed to go play paintball with everybody and learn <laughs> things. All my recruiter did was take us to go get drunk. But um, not really having any intention of truly joining, right? Because I signed up in uh, high school to see the recruiter, and I never went. So the, well, there's, a story, it, there's a story there. Yeah, there was a story there right. about your so recruiter, I'd, right? I'd signed up in the library to see the recruiter just to get out of class. I went to uh, – had to be easier ways. <laughs> rather than you know, going to the library to see this guy, I skipped class. It was just a reason to get out of school. And um, little did I know, after I graduated, this guy was going to be knocking on my door every week because I missed his little appointment. Um, he was a National Guard or Reserve recruiter, which I wasn't very – familiar with how that all works but okay. I, you know, I try to tell them look I have diabetes I'm, you know, I can't I have flat feet I told them everything I could possibly tell them <laughs> like I'm not joining the army and then finally uh, my stepdad was like tell them you're, you're gonna, if you're going to join the army you're going to do it right and go active duty because he was his sister was military so he knew active duty reserve and national guard components are separate Okay. so I told him that and a week later to active duty recruiter showed up <laughs> and convinced me to go of course they did go drink beer and join the army so he put me in a delayed entry okay yeah so were you did you go to ranger school before 9-11 oh yeah i went to i went to ranger school in 97 okay so two years after i joined the military so when you did so ranger school's three years two years no, it's 60 days. That's it? 62 days. Okay. Yeah, so the, another misconception. You have Ranger School and the Ranger Regiment. Ranger okay. School is a trade-off course. Anybody in the Army, anybody in the military can go to it. Okay. And uh, it's a leadership course. It, 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 people don't like calling it a leadership, but it, but it puts you through 60 days of stressors. Okay. Um, just to challenge you under different you know, hunger, sleep, deprivation. Uh, sixty days, sixty yeah, sixty two days I think is okay. from from in processing to graduation. Okay. Um, now the Ranger Regiment yes. is a selection course that run off of special operations. So you go to selection, you get selected, you're assigned to the seventy fifth Ranger Regiment. Subsequently, one of the three battalions, first, second, or third Ranger Battalion. Okay. So you don't have to be. Um, when you go to selection, you don't have to be Ranger qualified. But you you're expected to within eighteen months. Okay. So how does that work when you pass Ranger School? You go to a regiment. Do you do you sign on with the Army in general for an extended period of time? No. Look, any school in the military, you, you're gonna have, to have some level of retainability. So right. some of that caliber, you probably need a twelve month retainability. Okay. Before unit absorbs the cost to send you okay 
What was your mindset at that time when you went through it? Did you were you planning on a career there? Or are you just kind of like not sure? Uh, I think the reason I I didn't know anything about the Rangers when I joined the military. I knew about Rangers was briefly on the news from '93 in Somalia. Okay, and that was the year I graduated. I think it was. Um, the fall after I graduated, so I, the movie was up by then, right? Was it Black Hawk Down? Was that a movie? Like, was, that, um, was that small? It had been out it, when I, it got out when I late nineties. Okay, yeah, okay. Um, late nineties, early two thousands. But yeah, that's the based off of best. third third yeah. range battalion. Yeah, right. Um, where was I at? About when I was well, I, yeah, I, I had asked if you had thought uh, of making a career in the military. Oh, no, by the time. so that. I didn't. I didn't know anything about Ranger Regiment. I went to basic training. I think it, the, the glamour for me of basic training is everybody thought, you know, my mouth, you know, I always got in trouble. I wasn't good with authority. I was going to get thrown out. I was going to get a dishonorable discharge, ruin my life. Blah, blah. I think the appeal to me was to prove everybody wrong. That was the motivation. Right. So when I got in there, I started realizing this shit's pretty easy. And I've always been good at not manipulating, but being very personable. So mm-hmm. I, was, I, mean, I, I did my job in basic training. I went through the training, and but in the same respect, I gained the respect of the drill sergeants. So I was like kind of their go-to private when it was Got dumb it. shit needed to happen. So that Got it. so the the drill sergeants that took to me came from Ranger Regiment. Okay, and uh, they kept trying to get me and convince me to go to Ranger Regiment. And I'd since I agreed, I was like, I'll go. I didn't know anything about it. Send me. Okay. And uh, so out of basic, you would go to airborne school and then a selection phase. Um, and they were trying to get my orders changed, which was going to take me to Hawaii first. And then, um, but they wanted me to go to selection. Okay. They couldn't get it. There's, they couldn't change the orders. So I ended up going to Hawaii. But that after that they planted the seed in my head that i you know cause maybe i want to go to this this ranger regiment thing i got to hawaii and you got to hawaii a, yeah i got to hawaii <laughs> um as a net and i got that was a security holdover for a little bit so i think i got in hawaii in early 96 after i graduated basic and soon after that i realized that i'm very competitive okay so i Heard about all these different people doing different competitions, and so I was—I'd made it my goal to be better than them. So paradise was not enough of a lure for your competitive nature. Oh, it was a lure. <laughs> Trust me, I've had a hell of a time in Hawaii, but it was a great place to start for me, okay. my career, because you know I could—you didn't jump on a train that was moving a thousand miles an hour. The right. train was slowly creeping so you could keep up with it and jump on when so i learned a lot of basic military stuff um it's great climate to get in the greatest shape of your life and get ready for selections and mm-hmm. and that and that's kind of what it what it did for me how um, long were you in hawaii um two years okay over two years okay so and then you, out of Hawaii, I went to rent a ranger school. So that'd be like ninety nine ish. Like ninety seven to ninety ninety seven. I went to ranger school, and ninety eight, okay. I reenlisted to go to selection in ninety nine to okay third ranger battalion. So where were you on nine eleven? 
And you remember, what do you remember that day? Squad X of House in Fort Benning, Georgia. I was in Third Ranger Battalion. So you were like ready to go. Yeah. Yeah, funny you, story, but I didn't even know it. This is going to sound jacked up, but we were doing Squad X of Owls. It was September. Um, yeah, it's probably about two weeks of proving that you're a better squad leader. You okay. had a better squad without throughout the whole Third Ranger Battalion. So, um, we did that. We did super squad competitions. We did a whole bunch of different things, and we were wrapping up, you know, our last two weeks with a marksmanship mod where we just shoot for two or three days. Okay. Um, and my platoon sergeant at the time yelled over and told us to come over to the RSOV and listen to the radio. And I was, I didn't care. I just wanted to go shoot. I'm like, I don't, I didn't care about the news. And he was like, ah, oh, somebody ran into the twin towers or no uh and he didn't say new york he ran they ran into the twin towers and i i was like okay and i took off and i went Mm -hmm. back shooting with my squad and then they came over and they're they're making a big deal about it i'm thinking i don't even know where the twin towers are i thought they were like in europe i was like i don't give a shit but then i found out they were in new york city and they called us back in from the field to start packing and everything that I was thinking about was we just won this super squad competition and we were supposed to get like perks when we got back in and we never got any of the perks. I guess my perk was going to Afghanistan. So from the time that the event of 9-11 happened, how long before you were personally were deployed? I don't remember it exactly when we were wheels up, but we flew into um, an offset location um, to prepare to jump into Afghanistan. So we actually jumped in October 19th. We jumped into the Kandahar airfield. President Bush ordered the first military strike against Afghanistan. Was it before you were in there, or was it after you were already in there? We spearheaded the invasion. Okay. And that would have been October of, of October nineteenth. So we took um, September. Okay, so about a, about it was about a month before we took military actions. That sounds about right, going on memory. I think it appeared from a public standpoint that it, it took about a month before there was military a military strike of some kind because the public was getting a little you know, after well, the we, second the, week. The, I think when we jumped in, that was a strike. We jumped in and came back out. Okay, we jumped into a DLS a de, uh, desert landing strip and did a flyaway. Um, to get up get the precious cargo and flush so we didn't we didn't jump in and stay we jumped in secured the airfield did a got on a couple helicopters flew to another location got who we were looking for got got back on airplanes okay and then flew home or flew back to the offset location again ballpark dates and so forth it was a while from that point that we publicly announced that we had set up camp in afghanistan right it was i don't i don't i don't know i know by the time i got back to the staging area we we flew in it took probably four hours i think to fly jumped in left before morning Mm -hmm. we flew back just in time for breakfast um, and where we were, it, it couldn't be military operations, offensive military operations. So we had to go behind cheesecloth and hangers and to change and go do that. And 
went to go eat breakfast and but there it's a military grounds they do military training in this place got it but they didn't know what who was what who was doing what but we weren't they didn't want any offensive operations the country didn't got it so uh by the time we got back in the hangar got cleaned up changed went to breakfast it was on cnn the jump <laughs> so no shit really i mean we were watching it i was sitting there eating my eggs and i was watching us go across the airfield yeah that's a, that's got to be a weird dynamic of how there's so much media now oh, yeah. I, I remember going back to 91 and just watching the war on television mm-hmm. and th- there was in some instances it was nuts because there was a marines coming ashore mm-hmm. and then and there's already cameras they were standing there and it was and i mean like close yeah and there was a little bit of a confrontation <clears throat> at that time yeah that was have, it's even 10 multiplied by 10 now with the embedded cameraman and yeah all the news stations jump on board we the last hand-to-hand combat that on a large scale was during uh the war of 2004 right the the, the war in iraq cell phones weren't around then so you didn't have a bunch of citizens of the country running around with cell phones yeah we haven't had that type of invasion or that type of i hate the word occupation but i mean that invasion of a town um so we haven't incurred we have not encountered that yet right we've not encountered a combat zone with cameras in every hand every hand no that i'm I'm aware of anyways yeah i mean yeah i would say iraq in 2003 was the last time we were I mean, that was right before that stuff Because Afghanistan, hit. Not, I mean, phones weren't very prominent, at least in 2001. And uh-huh. and you damn sure didn't find too many Afghans with cell phones. And back then, they weren't. No. They were flip phones. And, right. Right. I wonder what a, I mean, if we did that today, oh, even in even in the third world countries or the Middle East, everybody. Just, they got them. Mm-hmm. What kind of complexity does that bring to the table? I mean, that's, I mean... Maybe none for you folks, but I mean, like, but that's got, hmm. The politics of war certainly have changed in that regard. Oh, yeah. I would think. I mean, you really think everything we do on targets recorded anyways. Okay. Whether from the sky or from, you know, our helmet cams or. That's for the benefit of the war effort. This is the. The media, do yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> but we'll, if we had to disclose it, we would have to disclose it after you declassify it. So, but to just leak, yeah, very easy. Okay, so help me um, understand this again. You went uh, in deployment for Afghanistan after nine eleven, and then the war on Iraq came in oh three three. Hmm. Okay, so there was a period of time. From 9-11 to the declaration right. of war so we there. Had since, so we jumped in in October of 01. I went, we stayed there till after the new year. I was probably, I think I came home January 02. And then went back. So we were on a cycle with first, second, and third range of battalion. So we, back then we were doing 90-day road you know, cycle. So we would go over for 90 days. We'd be replaced by first range of battalion. First range of battalion could be replaced by second. And we would got replace, it, and it was just the vicious circle. So, seventy fifth range regiment has been the only unit in the military to be constantly deployed in every theater wow. since two, since October nineteenth. Okay, since it, from the day we jumped in to the day we pulled out, we have been 
maintained every theater that the United States has been in 100% of the time. But yeah, we October or October 19th came back January. I was back over and that summer of Got 82. It. Another three months. Did 90, 100 days there. Came 15, back. 15 total, right? 15 or 16. Uh, Deployments. Mm-hmm. Lost count. Huh? Yeah. <laughs> Holy shit. And then coming back from that the summer of the second time in Afghanistan, that's when the whole talk about Iraq was kicking in. <clears throat> so I remember my daughter was supposed to I was going to be born around the time we were going to leave for Iraq. So I was, I had my ex-wife at the time running stairs and like, you're going to have this, but I'm going to be here for this child. So you're going to have this baby before I have to leave. Yeah. So I had to run in the (laughs) stadium stairs. And, and, uh, so I got to see the birth of my daughter. And then shortly after that, I left and we jumped into Iraq. Well, we flew into Saudi Arabia and staged there for a little bit. Okay. Waiting for the right, um, Moons to line uh, to make okay. sure so we could get in there. And, okay. Um, it never really panned out for the plan to jump. We were going to jump into Bio, or Baghdad International, and uh, never really the corridor never got open. So we we had went off to an offset DLS and did a military uh, jumped in and seized a military installation, and that's where ever since and we stayed boots on the ground in Iraq. So that was February Marchish. March of 03. Did the population, going on your memory, did the population have a lot of pushback for you folks when you went in there? Or did they kind of stay out of the way? I mean, did they? Uh, yeah, no, they didn't. Uh, we we're in an isolated DLS, but I could, I can tell you that uh, when we jumped in and we you know, cleared the, the airfield, it was, it was obstacle. So it was, there was still, there was, APCs and BRDMs okay. and okay. you know rocks and okay. basically covering airfield so nobody could land planes planes there. Got it. So we jumped in, cleared the compound, secured the perimeter, and then kicked back the jump clearing team to, to actually like we dropped in bulldozers and mm-hmm. to open this up so we could bring in the rest of the fall on force. So the rest is the special operations element. So that took till morning. And uh, wanted to see when thirties was coming in, and took a couple shots. We jumped on the motorcycles and ran out to a pump house, a clear pump house, and a house near it. And um, so the, the firing came from the pump house, but mm-hmm. naturally went over to the house mm-hmm. and cleared there. Some old couple, really, and uh, they had no idea. So as I was talking to them, I was like, "Well, who, who were the people at the pump house? Who are this?" And why is the airfield um, obstacled? And the lady said it's been obstacled since 1991. <laughs> so basically, they <laughs> obstacled it in Desert Storm, and we did ended so quick, it never came. The war never made it out to, yeah. to Western Iraq. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I cleared all the shit that somebody should have done in the nine early 90s. So when you go out. <clears throat> Because of the language difference, so you have interpreters, is that right? When you, in combat, I mean, yeah, oh yeah. when you, yeah. So that's, uh, are they locals generally, or are they people that are within? They're a mix. They're a mix, depending on. They're a mix. Okay. Okay. So you have different like levels. There's like I think up to level three, and it really has to do with class uh, security clearance. Got it. So if they're American citizens, 
which some of the some of the local nationals speak better than a lot of American citizens that are that came from that country. But um, when we first went over, we brought them over. Okay. And then we started getting gaining a rapport, and then we started getting local nationals that would come in and be translators. I always call them translators. I don't want them interpreting shit. I want them to tell them exactly <laughs> what I'm saying. So. Hussein, right? So, was the was the war was over by the time he was actually caught? Right? He was caught years. The war was later. never over in Iraq. We didn't so the, the army. Okay. The the uniformed army of Iraq folded. Right. Um, right. Just like they did in it. But uh, see, Saddam had his special army in the in the Nebuchadnezzar brigades and mm-hmm. mm-hmm. his royal or whatever the they royal, call it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, royal Guard or something yeah, like that. National, yeah. National. Something like that. Republican Guard. Republican Guard. So our job when we went was to delete any influence the Republican Guard had on the the regular army Iraqi forces. Okay. Because they would, they would surrender in hordes. Wow. And uh, they would literally, like, first few shots fired. Did that surprise you, or did you kind of expect that? I didn't, no, I, I wasn't surprised. Okay. At all. Okay. Um, but I think it was, <clears throat> after we had, I mean, we depleted the Republican Guard pretty quick. So it was, I think they went from 100% and we were on the ground for, I don't know, two weeks and they were down to like 32% or 30%. Wow. And, um, and they started pushing the surviving members of the Republican Guard out to, to basically scare the, the regular Iraqi army into fighting. And uh, so those are the reports we were getting that they're dispense, dispensing all the Republican Guard to the, to the regular army to, to – to scare them into fighting, to, so they would quit surrendering and fight due to Saddam's will. Right. Um, but that lasted, you know, a week, and uh, you could tell when you got into a little skirmish with the regular the, the regular army. As soon as like it'd go on for you now three five minutes, and then all of a sudden, at one time, everybody would quit because that means at some point. You shot one of the the last remaining Republican Guard. Got it. Now they don't have anybody to run back and tell Saddam. That broke their will pretty quick, right? Yeah, they were – they didn't want to fight. I mean, the the regular army in Iraq didn't want to fight us. Okay. They they were kind of elbowed into it. Um, So Saddam was on the run for a while. I think his kids were – his sons were killed earlier, Uday or whatever. Uday and Kusay, yeah. Yeah, but they were they were either captured or killed no, they by were their killed. own. They were, were they killed by their own people? Or we do do we? No, say, we killed them. Okay, and we found Saddam in a ditch or something. High he knobbins. was in an underground subterranean shelter. Oh, yeah. it was a shelter then? Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. And we we bro- how did he end up dying? Did, did he was uh, he was put to death. He got sentenced to death. I can't. I can't. I sometimes conflate him with Gaddafi and Osama bin Laden. I keep right. their their demise kind of right. all kind of congregate in my head. Right. Gaddafi years prior was actually killed by his own people. I think right. Imp- uh, he's impaled or something. That was a strike, but he might have been. Okay. Yeah, I think Reagan tried to strike him in what eighty three or something, right. and then ended up taking out his family or yeah, something. I, mean, I think a memory. When didn't 
not too many lack of trying to kill Qaddafi. Okay. So, I, I, but I think it ended up being a strike. But I, 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 I could be lying. Okay. Okay. Uh, when was your last deployment, roughly speaking, in Iraq? When were you done with the country? We left Iraq. Am I? It would have been oh nine, ten. Okay, would have been the, the last time we. It was, it was slowing down so much. It was kind of we were kind of begging uh-huh. for work. Uh-huh. So, and that was around his time frame. So it, it kind of ebbs and flows. Afghanistan blew up. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, you know, so we kept our special operations footprint in Afghanistan and in Iraq blew up. And that was kind of like the the good war. That was the fun one. Like you got over there and you had a good time. Um, so we kind of like lost. We pulled a lot of We left the skeleton crew okay. um, to continue targeting for Saddam. Or, um, correction, uh, bin Laden mm-hmm. in Afghanistan. Mm-hmm. And then we all went and played whack-a-mole in Iraq for a while. Um, and that, and it, you ask it, the, when it, how long it really lasted? A couple weeks, a month. Got it. You know, when it was, we were just getting pockets of resistance. Right. But then, as the, you know, we can't just go in and smack people and then leave. We have to go in and rebuild every damn road. Yeah. Fucking, Halliburton you know, and the rest Put them up. through school. I was just going to ask. College I was money. Just going to ask you about that. Right. <clears throat> so that's where it tied rebuild into Iraq. Right. Right. And that's where I. You know, I differed in my opinion. I say we go over and kill everybody. Everybody needs to be killed. You you tell me who needs to die, we go kill them. And we tell, we advertise, hey, we're going to kill all these people. We'll knock Saddam out of power, kill everybody in his regime, remove that influence. We just gave you a platter to build your own shit sandwich. You do whatever we will, and we're leaving. Right. Right? We got your dictator out. Now you people figure out how to run this country. And leave, and it would have been a better deterrent, I think, from our, from our national policy to go do that as opposed to going yeah, there. Yeah, we can't. I mean, then we get accused of nation, nation building and everything else. Militarily, so. we've never lost anything. Vietnam, Afghanistan, mm-hmm. Iraq, military, we have never lost. The politicians lose it. anything. Yeah, I go over and I do my job, and that's we go over to kill people, and we do a very good job of it. It's everything that goes in between the lines of. You know, I'm not here to build your country. I'm here to kill the people who ruined it. Well, I don't think us doing that has ever, in terms of uh, going and rebuilding, has ever really benefited our country. We Never. get accused of nation it's building. It absolutely does not. And kind of, when you look back at World War II, I think we actually created this economic power known as Japan. Right. Went in there and, you know, re- <laughs> rebuilt Japan. It's, and- a, it's a complete opposite, I think, is what we do. Now, on a, in a, me being my job and... It was lucrative for me. Let's stay in Iraq, stay in Afghanistan. I'd stay in there till the day I died mm-hmm. because I made more money. I got to do what I joined the army to do. Right. I got to go over and play whack-a-mole for however long. Right. I got to lead the nation's finest men into combat, and I'll do that. Whether I agreed, I respected the Taliban. I, one hundred percent. I mean, I'll go and I'll drink beer with the Taliban. Mm-hmm. That, that, you got to respect your enemy in order to kill them. You can't if you don't respect them, you're going to lose that war. So. Um, and, and see, that's really that um, I, I read some of your prior interviews. You talk a little bit about the definition of a warrior. And when you describe what a warrior is, I believe that 98 to 99 percent of the civilians, me included, will never understand that concept. It's just a, it's such a specific mindset 
that not I don't I don't think all all of us are capable of getting. I think you know? it, it, we're all we all put our pants on the same. It's it's something has to happen. I, I've always said this: something has to happen to bring that warrior out. Like everybody, I think everybody in the in the United States, everybody in the world is a pro athlete at something. Okay, I could have been a pro ping pong player. I just never played fucking ping pong. You know, I could have been the best ping pong player ever. I but I played football or soccer. Or okay, I never broke that down that road. I could have been a Olympic caliber ice skater. I don't yeah, javelin thrower. Right, yeah, I could have <laughs> threw it across the country, but, but we never do that. So somewhere in everybody, there's there's something that you know we never really tapped into. Yeah. So I always say, yeah, warrior happens. It, you don't go into something thinking you're. They're a warrior. not made. They're made through you know the grit of what you do and what you see, but actions of a of a warrior like yeah, people throw the term warrior around mm-hmm. loosely a lot now mm-hmm. what defines a warrior like i've always said i'd rather be a good leader than a warrior like i've my memory and my my legacy in the military is man he was one of the best leaders i had warrior just happened like if the people can call me a warrior if they want i don't i don't care what they call me quite frankly but i did my job i did it very well and the men under me you know mm-hmm. we Okay, so talk about leadership. Then, what is? Uh, and again, I'm coming at from from a civilian standpoint, right. right? In my study of leadership, talk about it. Your talk about your leadership, your leadership style, and is there a direct correlation to taking that from the military into corporate America? Possibly, there are other elements well, that are similar. I, so, I've actually done leadership LPDs for different corporations, and I'm not surprised. And. uh and I go speak about different styles of leadership and what a leader is, and or at least what I envision a leader. Okay. So I just think everybody knows what it takes to do. Like I, I think everything I say, everything I always lead, everything I do, um, whether I'm t- talking to a room full, room full of CEOs or a room full of privates, mm-hmm. everybody knows what I'm about to tell them. It's in the back of their head. Yeah, you yeah. Think? It, 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 they just need to hear it. Okay. And it needs to come forward so they can apply it. At, at any level so that's what i i talk about you know styles of leadership and there's you know sugar and salt okay a lot of no style leadership's wrong right because we don't grade technique there's a hundred different ways to skin Just a cat results and you know i'm not going to tell you what's right or wrong got it like it, people react to different types of leadership so what my type of leadership for my company, platoon, battalion, whatever, um, might have worked for me, but wouldn't have worked for you, or maybe you know, a legacy leader better than me. Um, it, it's just just the way it was, and, and that is, I was I was more of a sugar guy. Like I don't, more I'd, I'd rather come into work and uh, have the guys more upset or disappointed if they failed at something than worried about me. You know. Because once you start worrying about rep, repercussions of your actions, you're going to make more mistakes. So they come in, they made a mistake, they paid for it dearly, but it, it wasn't the, the fear of it. It was the, them being more upset. Like we let them down rather than holy shit. There's what's psychology do? in that for sure. Yeah, yeah, the psychology play. Right. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And you may not think of it like that I mean, every day that you do it, but that's your thing. Right. Some more flies with honey. 
Right. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. When Which, you and you get you get more out of them. Like if you're if you walk around and you're a dick all the time and you're mean and you're yelling and you're and they're just anytime you walk in a room they're like shit here he comes. It, the loyalty starts to waver. Become an adversary, maybe? Not an adversary, just yeah. Okay. And I, you know, I've I've had leaders like that that just all they did was treat you like treat you like shit, smoke you, like make you do all kind of dumb shit. Did you learn from that? I mean, did, oh yeah, yeah. Like this, oh, yeah. I'm, not gonna, of, I'm not going to be like that. My style, my style, my style won't that. be that way. Right. You, I always tell people take something from every leader you had, whether you use that or you put it in the back of your head, take it and remember it. Okay. And. uh and so I did. I mean, I had great leaders and I had terrible leaders. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm not saying the terrible leaders are wrong, though. Yeah. But they were wrong for me. And they were long, wrong for mm-hmm. my peers and people around me. But mm-hmm. they, 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 were, they went on to be very successful military leaders. No doubt. And I've been around through my corporate years, um, tremendous managers and executives, uh, leaders of companies I've been around with, and the military background – I believe paid off for them, you know, that they're based on leadership style. Right. Especially I can think of two instances of crises where uh, the the company was under a lot of stress, but their leadership was very almost stoic, but really on point. And you could tell Mm -hmm. it was absolutely coming from their military background. Right. No question about it. And it, it, it translates. So me coming, you know, 27 years in the military, retiring, Coming out in the civilian world, mm-hmm. coming to get a job, and you're like, I, you know, I'm retired, so I, I was like, I'm gonna keep get something to keep me a little bit of busy. So I got me part time job. I won't do anything more than part time at bless all. You. And uh, so I, you know, I, I'm the type of person I'm gonna go in, do my job, do my part time job, put my blinders on, and leave. That's what I wanted to do. Did that happen? No, because <laughs> I can't. It's hard for me to watch leadership around me or lack thereof. Okay, and don't confuse. And I always say this: don't confuse leadership with boss. Mm-hmm. Your bosses. Not all bosses are leaders. No, not all leaders are bosses. So uh, anybody can be a leader. Social influence is the biggest thing about leadership. Okay, social influence. I could grow up with you. Coriopolis, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I didn't know you. I knew the name. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Vice versa. I've always known you. I knew the name. So that's that social influence, like the impact the name had. And be like, oh, I like that. He had he has a good name behind him, so I'm going to follow that guy. And I always tell the story of uh, Ralph Puckett, who uh, one of my mentors and idols in the military. Um, he just got awarded the Medal of Honor from his, his actions in Korea and Vietnam. But um, he he went on to be the first commander of the 1st uh, 8th Army Ranger Unit. Okay. Um, which was the first Ranger Unit, modern-day Ranger Unit, to be established in uh, Korea. He went in and trained them up, but there was no positions for him. So the Army said, hey, we're going to start this new elite force we want some volunteers we're going to bring some people in and train them he just graduated west point he wanted to be do something bigger than himself he decided you know i want to go do this i want to be a ranger so he walks into the interview as a lieutenant all they had was a job for a company commander which is a captain which is echelons above him at this point mm-hmm. and uh 
they basically told him, you're a second lieutenant. You can, we're looking for a company commander. You know, you're you're not the guy. He's like, I don't. Let's take this rank off. I'll carry a machine gun. I I just want to be part of this. Like okay. I want to be something part of something bigger. And uh, so they had already already hired the lieutenants. They already did the interviews and got them. He just came in late, which just so happened that some of the lieutenants that hired mm-hmm. before him were his classmates. And they basically found out Ralph Puckett wanted to come be, you know, work in the Eighth Army Ranger, and uh, they set aside their peer status to say I would walk, I would follow that man. Yeah. So they brought Ralph Puckett back to be the company commander because the lieutenant said we would work for a second lieutenant as a company commander. He was that social influence through going through West Point with him and understanding his leadership and understanding his presence. And he went on to be yeah, a his legend. His reputation preceded him. Right. Because they knew him. Right. So, legend. He's probably one of my wow. my favorite people in the Army. I'm sure you get this asked a lot, but I want to do it anyways. What are some of the biggest misconceptions, the, the civvies, us, right, we have with military? What are some of the biggest misconceptions we have right now? And have had throughout your well, career. I think the biggest for me is we're not all broken. So I, I think a lot of that's self-inflicted from, okay. from some of the military. Okay. And a lot of that's perceived by the civilian population. But we're not all broken. Like, I, very few of us are broken. Mm-hmm. See, so, I never thought that, but I understand what you're saying. So, I mean, when I, I moved back up and I, I was sitting at a bar or a restaurant or I don't remember where I was, but I was sitting there and some couple sat next to me and they started talking to me and they said, I went to where you live or where you're from. Or I said, well, I'm moving back home. I just retired and or I just moved back home. And after 27 years, I haven't been here in 27 years. And they're like, Oh yeah, where you been? And I was like, I lived in Alabama, Georgia, blah, blah, blah. And uh, they're like, Oh, what'd you do down there? I was like, I just retired from the military. Oh, how long? How long were you in? I said, yeah, almost 27 years. And they kind of like stopped. And the wife looked at me real, said, you okay? <laughs> really? I'm like, well, I, I could use another beer. But <laughs> I mean, I, other than that, I'm fine. And they're like, no, but like, are you okay? Like, if do you think I'm going to strip naked and start around shooting everybody in a bar? No, we're not like that. Yeah. But there is, I can see where that, that misconception comes from. And that's self-inflicted for the, Behavior of a lot of people that come out of military. Okay, but the what the the point is that's a very small percentage. Very I small. think so. Yeah, I, I think so. No, I'm sure a lot of military people come out and they'll call me full of shit. But I mean, I've been around a lot of people for 27 years, and it's a very small percentage of people I think are suffer. In terms I think everybody suffers. Okay. But to the point where you could sit there and say we're broken, it's a small percentage. And we're talking about the readjustment back to civilian life. Is that part of it? I mean, did did you did that was that was that, was that, was that not a big thing for you? I mean, no, I was a civilian every time I was off work. Right on. That's the way I look at it. Got it. The army was a job for me. Mm-hmm. It was a job. Mm-hmm. And it's just because I did. It's like. 
just because I did it 27 years and I put a uniform for 27 years, that uniform came off at the end of the day. Just like if you worked at FedEx, just uh-huh. like if you worked at UPS, just like if you were a mailman, just like if you worked at McDonald's, your shit comes off as soon as you get off work. And mine did too. I went home, played with my kids, went to the bar, had fun, just like any other civilian did. So, When you received the accommodations you did, okay, because they're impressive. My friend, as, as a civilian, I'm allowed to say that to you, right? They're impressive to me when I read about them and I understand what they are. I can't imagine from the little time we spent together, I can imagine that they probably did not have a huge impact on you. Not at all. I didn't think so. Were there times you thought about it? Is it easier now since you've retired to reflect back and go, yeah, I fucking did that. I mean, you know, is, do you ever have those moments? Can you, pre- I mean, can you appreciate them for what they were? Oh, I appreciate them because I'm still breathing. Uh-huh. I appreciate them because I'm, I'm still standing here today. But, yeah, I mean, with every, and as I say, with every award, with every accommodation or, you know, minus competitions, minus that, but anything that, anything valorous comes lost. So it's somewhere along those lines, I might have got a earned something but we lost something for that Got so it. i mean i look at it that way so it's a piece of cloth doesn't mean shit to me okay okay can i ask you about technology and connectivity that was available to soldiers during your time meaning like when you deployed did you have a cell phone with you no we had oh no i don't think i had a I don't think I actually had a cell phone until 2003, and it was one of them old ones. But I, when we deployed, we had um, – you have a package of – it's HSD it carries. It transmits a, its own internet. Um, so you could have the internet, but like sat- very limited. Satellite-based. Satellite right, yeah. but very limited. Back then, for sure. And then uh, we had satellite phones um, that you had one – one phone per that's what i thought yeah because the era swap around you know they run off an external battery and okay actually i believe the military um put iridium back in business like i think iridium was was struggling at one point i sold oh my god i coincidentally i worked for a company called PageNet in the 90s yeah and we were the only reseller of iridium and if flip and flop they sent the the geosynchronous satellites up in the late 90s yeah but then we couldn't get any subscribers. It was so expensive. And I heard they started falling out of the sky because yeah, they, they went bankrupt or something. But, they, but the military saved it. I remember well, hearing I mean, that. We, got, we, got, we had Iridium phones. I remember, then, yeah. So yeah. we basically bought <laughs> unlimited minutes from Iridium, the military, so that uh-huh. people could use the Iridium phone to communicate back home. Mm-hmm. By the time you got out, what was changing? Were, were individual soldiers permitted to have their own cell phones over there? In theater, I guess I should yes. say they were permitted. They were, but we weren't. So the big, the regular army, big army, big military was special operations. Was we were not permitted to have so we could have cell phones, but they weren't. You couldn't take them in certain areas. We couldn't take cameras, anything that because you know, they weren't secure. Is that the biggest issue? They weren't secure, and you just couldn't take pictures. The pictures oh, was the biggest oh, thing. Oh, when they became photographic yeah. instruments. So I mean, did it happen? absolutely did we really enforce it 
It depends. Depends if who you were and if I liked you. <laughs> All right, let me give you a, a supposition here, or not a supposition. It's not really a supposition, but let me give you a, a circumstance. Let's say tomorrow we entered Iraq again and did a similar in the year 2023. Mm-hmm. Would the soldier more than likely be able to have a cell phone and have regular instant connection with their life back at home? Yes, they do right now. So they do. If how does that work? I mean, is it, if you could any, go any pitfalls you for that? Could I mean, go to Verizon and get the international package. You call yeah, them. Yeah, no, but I mean, they sell them over. They sell them. They sell cell phones. They sell chips you can put in your cell phone that you can use. Yeah, if you want to pay for it. You know, you want to buy the minutes. You want to buy the service. You can call back home all day long. Okay, so my question would be: Would there be? Fear that the wrong information coming Absolutely. out of soldiers. But everything's monitored. Yeah, but you can't monitor them all, though. Yeah, they can. Okay. Okay. Yeah, I guess they could. <laughs> I mean, you'd be surprised what comes across my desk. Okay. Okay. Because I guess I, guess I know how we did it. That could be a problem. I know how we did it, and I know how we did it towards the end when with my element. Okay. How the rest of the military and how they did, I, I I'm not sure, but I know how. And we, we were pretty thorough. Okay. Like if, there, if something was said, there's buzzwords that come up. So once the buzzword hits, then it starts actually recording. It's another clip. level of headache, though, isn't it? It's Yeah, but it's juvenile. That's why I tell you, it's not worth your career. If you want to talk to your wife, that's fine. Talk to her about the weather and how shitty it is here and the food sucks and the women aren't good looking. And, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, it's something like that. But, but that's... Think about though it, one of the things about the what was the modern soldier of the years is the separation from their family, you know the, mm-hmm. the torture. I mean, you you had that even later in the nineties and the early two thousands. So now that's somewhat somewhat being eliminated. The connectivity back home, if they're permitted to have their own devices, is you know we brought the connectivity closer together, but. But we always had that with letters, like so we could never control what people wrote in letters. It's so it's all in the, under an individual de, uh, discipline. But you're right. I mean, it's it makes the living over there a lot easier when you have some touch of reality back home. Okay. When you were serving, did you ever have moments where you would be out in in a deployment and get snippets of the news, whether? You know, whether regardless of what station it was, just the general news here. And did you sometimes think, like, what the American people are being told? That isn't what the fuck's going on over here in this moment. Were there were there inconsistencies there, or was it disheartening at times when you were hearing things that were against? Which, I guess, my question is, what emotions did you have when you were ingesting American news while you're deployed? Um. So let me start by saying I didn't really hear much American news. They, they, overseas, they have AFN, which is uh, Armed Forces, right? Yeah. So it's 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 basically what they want to. It's a, it's a move, it's a cable network essentially, Understood. but it doesn't have. It'll have your army news, news around the world. They're not going to give you your CNN, MSNBC, Fox News. They're not going to be the biased news stations. Um, now you you could read the internet, you could read you know social media, you can get shit from friends back home. Okay. Um, but I, I really didn't pay attention, so I can't. I 
I can't speak on that. But I never, I can't say there's one instance when I said, oh, these people think that, but it's actually this. Okay. But after looking back, like in the, like back in that time frame, I didn't care anything about what the news said. My, I was focused on the killing mission. bad guys and going home and coming back and doing it again. As, you know, as my career progressed and I got in different levels of running the operations and worrying about, you know, slander, backlash and all that stuff, that's when I started paying attention to it. Okay. So later on in my career, probably you know, 2016, 15, 16 mm-hmm. on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the increase in, in the sophistication of the technology too. Right. Right. Because of what you went through in the beginning. And that's where, I mean, it's, that's where you got to start worrying more about is because everything you do is under a microscope, especially, you know, the longer we stayed in Afghanistan, the longer we stayed in Iraq, one hiccup could stir echoes across the United States and they're the matter of which opinion we have for the war where we're at at that time. Yeah. And who believes we should still be there? Who should, believes we shouldn't be? I always thought we should leave. I never, I thought we should have just went over there, killed it, who we needed to kill and leave. Like we, and this is unpopular too amongst a lot of people. Is you know, everybody hated the Taliban, and you know, and they're these terrible people. But you know, they've been doing this shit for hundreds of years before we were even a country. Mm-hmm. How am I to tell them they're wrong? Mm-hmm. You know, I, mm-hmm. yeah, we do what we do because we we decided to, uh, what we're morally correct doing. Right. We do it because we understand what as a society we will accept. That society, believe it or not, doesn't really accept a lot. Of Mm-mm. leeway, they they are used to what they're used to. And isn't it funny that we just choose who we're okay with and who we're not? I mean, because Saudi right. Arabia's society is bingo. And is we have military in, installations in Saudi Arabia, and they're friendly. And supposedly. they're one of supposedly. the one of the largest countries who have human rights violations. One hundred percent. And we don't we we supposedly don't play with people with human rights violations, but clearly we do. But they play nice on the oil front, right? And have so like when when you know the pullout came and everybody's like Taliban, Taliban, Taliban. I was like, just pull out and let them go. We, I knew two years into that war, the Taliban was going to take over that country again. The only reason it didn't is because we were there. The only reason the Taliban hadn't done sooner is because we stayed there. Had in 2005, um, don't, somebody's going to come and be like, oh, that wasn't the right year. But you know, early, mid 2000s, 2005, six. Right. Uh, I mean, we always had the Taliban on their heels. At no point did the Taliban ever have an upper hand on us. But there was a time when they were really begging. And, uh, and the Gyro, the government of Afghanistan, understood that. Right. But you have to understand, since the 80s, this was your government. The Taliban was your government. So that was the recognized government. Mm-hmm. To not give them a place at the table when it all was said and done is ridiculous. And it, you're it wasn't never, smart. And you're ne- but not smart at all because look what happened where we're at. Mm-hmm. If had they had a place at the table when they're saying, hey, let's figure this out, let's come to the table. Now that you know, Jairoa had nothing to do with it, mm-hmm. right? The government of Afghanistan had nothing to do with the success against the Taliban. It was mm-hmm. all us. Right. So no doubt. When you, they were like, oh, we're winning. Well, you're not winning. We're winning. You might want to sit down with these dudes and talk about how you can live together. Yeah, it's not going to be there forever. Right. Because if not, they're going to come in and smack the shit out of you as soon as we leave. And they did. And everybody was upset about it. But it, if you had spent any time, more than one or two deployments over there, you knew that was going to happen. Right. And I understand it was a big emotional 
you know, stressor on everybody that was in the military, everybody that lost somebody, lost a loved one, or who was over there and lost a friend and watched people, you know, um, demise over there. But it's, it is what it is. It, they, this, the Taliban was going to take over Afghanistan. Mm-hmm. The, the government of Afghanistan, that, that, the army, the military, the police force, they were, they're, they were more afraid of the Taliban. Their fear for the Taliban overweighed their want for freedom. That's that's the bottom line. Who was it in the two thousand? Was it Musharraf? Was that his, was that his name? The Prime Minister of Afghanistan. It was. Uh, I thought it was Musharraf. Maybe it was. It wasn't. I don't know. But when we went in, or when we put in power? Yeah. Well, no, I think he was the one that was there when we went in. I yeah. thought he was, and we retained him. Well, he got killed. Ultimately, did he? Well, the one the one we wanted in power got killed. Then we put uh, maybe we do maybe we put Musharraf in then. No, we put uh, Karzai. Oh, Karzai, that's right, that's right. I'm thinking of a guy in Pakistan. Maybe this yeah. is, I don't. Karzai, that's Karzai. right. Karzai. So, right. so after we went in and we established what we want to do, there's there's a list of people that were like, hey, we're gonna make this guy the president of Afghanistan. He'll right. be the face. Right. I believe he got assassinated. Right. And then we had to go in and. Um, rescue, kidnap Karzai mm-hmm. to make it look like we're going to bring him over. Mm-hmm. And then we basically mm-hmm. pulled him into Pakistan and made him the president of Afghanistan, which he, you know, right, wrong, or indifferent, probably wasn't the right guy for the job. Did we do a lot of construction building in Afghanistan like we did in Iraq as oh, well? Yeah. Oh, yeah. So, like, the Halliburton and those type of firms had those contracts. They were they were in both countries then. Yes, they were. Uh, infrastructure was unreal. It was profitable. Schools and yeah. Okay, so we um, exited Afghanistan in twenty, right? It was after Joe 20, Biden became president. Twenty, 20 twenty-one. We 20. left. Okay, I'd love to get your unvarnished thoughts on that if you're willing to share them. I mean, did you because you were good. You, you spent years of your life there. Yeah, back and I forth. Left, I mean, I redeployed from my last trip over there. I was running the operations plans and training for Afghanistan. That was the uh, CJ three or uh, three five seven SAR major for Afghanistan, and that was that ended in. November of 20. Okay. And we had since had, you know, the Doha peace talks and, you know, we came to agreement with the Taliban. Taliban will not attack any, any American or coalition force. Mm -hmm. They could still, but the Taliban kept smacking the ANA, AMP, the, Mm -hmm. you know, Jairoa. But that wasn't part of the agreement. So, but from the time, so really the original peace talks happened by the time it, you know, they flew back from Doha. Mm-hmm. The the ta- <clears throat> excuse me, the Taliban already blew up, did a VBID and killed an American soldier, and uh, and uh, I believe a Georgian okay. civilian. Okay. Um, and they we wreaked havoc on them for two weeks. You know, Trump was like. Mm-hmm let them have it like this is bullshit Mm -hmm. so we did um then the taliban came back and said look you got to give us a minute you know we we let everybody know up here the top it takes a minute to get it down to the pipe swingers okay and that's what i mean and after it trickled down they did nothing i mean Mm -hmm. you know 
we were walking down the streets in Kabul. And that, they weren't going to do anything to us because they knew the writing was on the wall. If they want to take power and they want to make it in a timely manner, we mm-hmm. have to leave. Mm-hmm. So they're going to sit there and they're going to sure. bide their time sure. and wait for us to leave. And that's kind of hard. You know, it's, it's good in one step to say, hey, we're going to leave here. But they also know they can just sit back and wait. As soon as we leave, this is what's going to happen. They're going to take over. Um, it was so chaotic, though. The, the, it was. The, the pullout the, uh, had a sound plan. There was a sound plan in place. What happened? As a, far as you a can different tell. administration came in and checked. That's what it, it was. And it, 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 and it's, I don't I don't blame everything on the administration. I blame the military advisors. I blame those are the people that those are your subject matter experts. Those are the ones that should have said. You know, it's a bad move to shut down Bagram. Leave Bagram open. We've had it since 2001. Mm-hmm. That's a bigger airfield. We can get more heavies in there, get more people in and out of there. You know. So it's a political move then. We wanted every yeah. every piece of American blood out of that country. That I was, don't know if it was political as much as uninformed. I, I, okay. I really don't know. I, okay. don't, I don't know the thought process behind it. And I'm not going to. But if, there was a lot of. A lot of a lot of wrong done. It seemed like there was a deadline set, whether it was done in a political. The deadline was done already. Fucked that up. We were the only. The Taliban is the only one that upheld their end of the deal from the Doha peace agreement. Okay. We we shattered it. Okay. Like we were supposed to be out prior to. I'd be lying if I told you a date, but we we did not meet that date miserably. Okay. And I knew we weren't just based on we hadn't even started moving Got so it. i don't know why and they were very tolerant taliban was very tolerant with that they could have turned around and and did a spring offensive on us they could have done whatever they wanted but you know again if you want something bigger mm-hmm. you have to kind of wait for that thing to come and that's what they did what's your gut tell you now that they have control of that country what, what are we what are we in for Nothing. They're irrelevant. They're not relevant. The, the The Taliban does not have global reach. Okay. People don't understand that. The Taliban had nothing to do with nine eleven. Well, so it, they were fostering. Yeah. Who cares? Yeah. They gave a place. They gave a place to hide. It's right? customary. Basically, to, it. okay. It don't matter. It's customary. That's that's their religion. That's their custom. If you showed up at somebody's house, in you know, in court office, and tried to sleep over, they beat you with a broom off their porch <laughs> but you do that in afghanistan they're going to put you in a guest house it's just customary okay so but they had nothing to do with 9-11 so they were kind of the placeholders for bin laden this is where he was yeah i mean bin laden is a saudi arabia saudi born he, he didn't give a shit about afghanistan he could have went anywhere that's just where he happened to be and he had he had plenty of security he had you know he didn't need the taliban taliban and al-qaeda didn't even get along but it was just, you know, he was in Afghanistan at the time. Okay, talk about Al-Qaeda for a second. What, where, what's their state as of? Uh, they're irrelevant. They're, at this Same point, they're as, as irrelevant as the Taliban. Really? Yeah, they're broken. Okay. And that's why I told everybody when we were pulling out, they thought this was, you know, our, our Vietnam. This was, you know, Vietnam. We didn't lose Vietnam. Mm-hmm. Nope. We did not lose Vietnam. No. Nope. We did everything. The military did not lose Vietnam. And that's what people have to understand. What so you do father, in the military. My father is, used to tell me that. He said exactly what you said. He right. always said that to me. We won that. Mm-hmm. The, the government lost. 
And that's where we just that's where we have to find that happy medium and say, how long is right before it gets too much? Like Iraq, how long? We had two months. We could have been in there two months, got the regime done, got them out of there. Whatever time we got Saddam, I don't know how long it was. It was years. But you know, after Saddam was done, we got him out. We knew we'd get Saddam. He wasn't going to leave Iraq. Right, right. Um, we got him. Nah, now we should leave. Here's your shit sandwich. You know, eat it or you know, fix it. Um, but we didn't, Mm-mm. and that forced the foreign fighters over. So we weren't fighting you know, a uniformed army, we're fighting foreign fighters. We're right. fighting Chechnyans and Uzbeks and, you know, Syrians and everybody else. We weren't fighting all Iraqi people over there. We were fighting extremism. And that's mm-hmm. to people that say, hey, we don't want infidels in our country, and that's what it boiled down to. So um, that's where we have to – we didn't lose that war. We didn't lose any of them, and that's what people have to understand is – you know, we won the war. We did what we needed to do. We took we we diminished Al Qaeda mm-hmm. to nothing. Right. So when you look at the Afghan war, jumping in Afghanistan, fighting in Afghanistan, we destroyed Al Qaeda. Very small. You completed the mission, right? Huh? You completed the mission, right? It, but it turned into now we outstayed our welcome with the Taliban. Because I'll tell you right now, I we paid the Taliban some Taliban leaders for compounds that we were using. Mm-hmm. to fight the Al-Qaeda. Mm-hmm. Very prominent Taliban leaders. Very prominent. Wow. Now, did they play mom against that? Absolutely. Like one Taliban. It was really, they used us as a middleman to get rid of their competition. Sure. So, you know, if we're using a compound over here, he'd shoot us at his own compound and blame it on the other guy. So we go over and kill this guy. And now we just eliminate his competition. I mean, they're geniuses in that respect. But um, yeah, we played right along. It sounds we, like a clusterfuck, but it really wasn't. Yeah, I mean, we, so we knew out. what they were doing, but it wasn't the Taliban. And the Taliban finally just started saying, get, you, you, time to get out. We don't want you in our country. They didn't want the Russians in the country. Right. They didn't want oh, us yeah. in our country. Course, they proved that, what, decades prior. Right. And I mean, I'm, we what did we do in the 80s? We, we made the Taliban of successful. Course, of course we did. So, I, so... The pullout, Myers, we we did everything we needed to do militarily mm-hmm. up to the pullout. We screwed the pullout. The narrative uh, that we left all these high tech weapons and all this stuff for the bullshit. Yeah, that's what I was going to ask you. Was that was that basically a narrative that was a bullshit was, was, statement that was, spe- was basically fed to the public? They showed all these pictures of all this all this equipment, guns, tanks. You know, helicopters, whatever. It doesn't fucking matter. That's that was given to the ta- or I'm sorry, to a- a- the government of Afghanistan. Mm-hmm. That was our. We gave that to them. We we took that out of our inventory and assigned it to the Afghan National Army. Why Afghan. wasn't that conveyed right to the public? Because it did. They only want you to. They want so much strife between two parties. That's what they want. They don't want people to get along. They. I mean, I. I, I look, if I'm on an airplane, I want my fucking pilot to be successful. So I'm gonna do everything. That, of course. Why you would I want think. him to be a failure at a pilot? That'll be the last time I'm on a plane or anybody on a plane. So, that, but this country is, is has morphed into, you know, I'd rather see somebody fail for an agenda. Let's than, let's, let's talk about that because I've been really wanting to have this conversation with you. So we look out today, in your, in your perspective of life is certainly different based on our backgrounds. 
I see the world getting ultra polarized. Uh, and when I mean polarization, Colin, I mean like people will die on the fucking hill for their belief, even when they've been shown you're wrong. Can you have a little humility? Maybe adjust your right. thought process. They will die on that hill, and even I, sometimes over the most inconsequential shit. Absolutely. I mean, How I've did this happen? I've, I can tell them factually that I've, I could say I saw it with my own eyes. That's not true. What they're saying. This is it. For example, we left. You know, all the military, we left equipment behind for the Taliban. We did not leave that equipment behind. That was Afghan National Army equipment, Afghan National Police equipment. Okay. They folded. Mm-hmm. That was kind of the, we understood. If they folded, the Taliban was going to get that. They have been doing it since the dawn of time, since we jumped in there. Well, since we started training the Afghan National Army, Afghan National Police Special Okay. They would go to a checkpoint. People think checkpoints one or two people. Like when you hear a checkpoint got overrun in Afghanistan, it's not. It's 30 people. And there'll be a truck full of Taliban, five people, saying, get out of the checkpoint and leave your shit. And they're like, can you give us five minutes to grab clothes? No, get out now. And they go in and take over that checkpoint. Not around fire. Well, 30 Afghan National Army will walk away from a checkpoint against five Taliban. Wow. It's because they're more afraid of the Taliban than they want freedom. Damn, okay. And it was a job to them. They got paid a little bit of money, and you know they were hoping they never had to fight. And then now we just now the Taliban just gained trucks. They just gained guns. They just gained that. So it's always been happening. We didn't leave Taliban shit. The, the Afghanistan failed. Mm-hmm. Um, the mm-hmm. the narrative that we left American citizens behind, bullshit. Mm-hmm. We did not. Mm-hmm. If there is any American citizen at our level that was left behind, it was. It was because they decided to stay, stay there. They did not get left. The ones that are the overwhelming number that they're referring to are as dual citizenship Afghans. People that Afghan civilians that also held a civilian and a US civilianship that decided to leave the US and move back to Afghanistan. Got it. Because of money and greed and mm-hmm. yeah, you know, we're going to pay them, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. That's who they're referring to, not me and you. Got it. At all. Um, the idea that, you know, the Taliban was running around hanging people from helicopters. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. It's just the narrative how the media does it. They'd have showed that same video, you know, three minutes prior, they'd have showed that that was actually a Taliban um, soldier, if you would, hanging a Taliban flag on a provincial capital in Kandahar. No shit. It was not a, anybody hanging from a helicopter. He was in a harness. And he was hanging a flag on top of the provincial capital. Holy shit. So it, it did not, we left military wow. working dogs over there. Wow. And they show a picture of all these kennels, and we left all these military working dogs. Bullshit. It's a narrative. It's a fake it, narrative. It's a fake narrative. They were stray dogs that rather than killing them, you know, we there was some lady that was taking them in Kabul in a, in a kennel. And when we the pullout started... She had brought all that shit back and tried to have us get them on the plane. Well, I can't even get everybody on the plane. I'm yeah. not putting dogs. Right. For one, I can't even go to Hawaii. with <clears throat> You can't fly to Hawaii to go live there with your dog without being in quarantine for 17 years. I'm not mm-hmm. damn sure not bringing 30 Afghan dogs on a plane back to the United States. Right. Right. So right. it's a narrative. And right. it's, it's it, it depends on... What side? Which way you lean, and who you want to hate, and who's who you in power, and who's trying right. to like tear down. But the, I, those, those are power. facts. I tell people those are one hundred percent facts. They still don't believe it. 
they still have such a monocular way to look at something that they don't give a shit what's over here. They just want to be, this is how I look at it. What a weird world. It is. I mean, and, and I'm, I can't say I'm middle of the road, but I would say you're, you're like a, a you're a right leaning general moderate, right? That's kind of I, I think that's know, where I find myself, right? I, but I have you know I look at both you have to. sides of the coin. Well, any reasonable citizen should, right? And it you know it's not it's it's not losing friendships over, but it's it's come to that. It's not lose like you know, there's families that don't talk through this shit. And it's basically that they, they're doing it. Media, the social social media, mainstream do think, media. Do you think that's it, though? Do you think social media is the main culprit in terms of why we're so polarized? Social media is not the main culprit. Mainstream media is the main culprit. Okay. And pushing agendas. Okay. Um, but social media now just gets it out to the masses faster. Mm-hmm. There's so much of social media, though, in the way that we use it, often it's just not real. There's yeah, more right. bullshit like, there than anywhere. As soon as I post, I could post some, I could sit and post, I, I'm not going to, right. I could say something like, oh, Philly won the, you know, <laughs> KC stripped of Super Bowl due to bad call, Philly uh-huh. awarded the Super Bowl win. <laughs> I could put that, make it look like a headline, uh-huh. and I guarantee Tens of thousands of people believe that shit if it, if it's spread, uh-huh. because they won't do their own research. Uh-huh. They, their nose doesn't get out of social media to the point where they're going to believe it. that. Rather than fact check and do their own research on something, they want to trust. Well, let, social me, media. let me ask you that. Taking taking exactly what you just said, doesn't that actually sound like the truth doesn't really matter to us much anymore? No. The facts the don't pursuit, matter. The pursuit feelings of the truth. Right. So right now it's feelings over facts. It's been that way for a couple of years. Feelings over facts. Yeah, you know, it's it's a sad state we're in. It really is. Like it. You couldn't imagine a world like twenty years ago. You could, if somebody could paint a picture for you, maybe in five minutes of what the current world looks like, and they projected this to you in twenty three, twenty oh three, and they this is say in. 2023, 20 years from now, this is the things that's going to be happening. Big moments. And this is how we're going to interact with each other. And this is how fucked up things are. And they explain that to you in five minutes. Would you actually believe that the world you're moving into is going to look like that? No. (laughs) But a large handful of people would. And they're going to start digressing it to that already. All you got to do is plant a seed to some people and they're going to grow it. They're going to water it and they're going to grow it. And that's what that's what mainstream media is doing, and that's what turn the news off. Mm-hmm. Turn the news off. If you want to be a, if you want to be a journalist, stick to facts, strictly facts, not at not not what your opinion oh, they're is. They're hard to find nowadays. But the outlets that actually can give that to you, I used to think NPR was a place to go until I realized right away they're, they're, that's as liberal as it comes. Nobody. Yeah, you almost, you almost have to take pieces from both sides and then see what's the least of the two lies. And well, that's why I say there's three sides of every story. That's His, hers, and the case. case. <laughs> and you got, you got to figure that out. <laughs> yeah, it's just frustrating as shit. It's such an unsophisticated way of living. You know, I mean, it's, it's tearing this country apart. Is what it's doing. It's hundred percent. We're we're going backwards. Mm-hmm. We're, we're actually going backwards. Did you see the movie? Idi- idiocracy 
No, I, I know what you're doing, but I did not see it. I have not watched the entire movie, but I've watched enough of it. And I should go back and watch it. But it, this is like 15, 16 years ahead of his time. This should be that movie should be written today. Right. But it predicted exactly mm. where we've headed. Well, we're I mean, living in, yeah. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. Um, do you – it's such a fascinating time when you were in the service because it was right at the beginning of this crazy uh, – technological push were especially in communications you just missed it you probably got out at the right time right from from that bullshit you know because i can't imagine i mean social media for enlisted men and women like are there are there restrictions is that stuff being monitored oh yeah do they tell them it's being monitored policy letter now in the military well there's a policy letter for us but i think that sergeant major of the army and the chief of staff of the army um, had put out um, that you, I mean, you could, there's definitely UCMG actions for, for social media. Watch what you put on social media. I can think of the one place where feelings don't matter because of the required order, and that's the military, right? Because you have to. That's a misconception too. What's well, starting to be right? That's a, that's another big mi- civilian misconception about the military. Oh, how like, do you understand that? You don't join the military to get. This isn't back, you know, when our our parents and grandparents were like, "Say, go to war, go to jail. Go to military, go to jail." You know, the draft, right? Like, right, like, uh, yeah. or just you. They forced you into service because you were a, a hoodlum. Vagrant, <laughs> right? Yeah, you're going to be you're breaking the law left and right. We're going to go get you straight by sending you to the military. That's not how that works. That's not work. A lot of people that I know that probably came into the military straight as an arrow and got out just as fucked up as anybody could imagine. Okay, and without seeing combat. Okay, um, it's not because of, you know a lot of people that go into the military. There was a kid. That, I went to basic with the kid. He was. Then I went to Hawaii for a couple of years, and then I since linked up with him. He was in Third Ranger Battalion. Okay, this kid was like straight laced and basic, didn't cuss, didn't do anything. This now this is still, you know, mid late nineties. Right. Um. I get you know I I get move over to the Ranger Regiment in the late nineties, and he's smoking, cussing, you know, drinking. hadn't drank a drop of fucking liquor his entire life. Right. So. For you to sit there and for the society to think that one, the military is going to straighten you out, that mm-hmm. it's complete fucking opposite. Yeah, like you have I to. Mean, you either have to want to be in the military because there's there's plenty of drugs, there's plenty of alcohol, there's plenty of tobacco, there's plenty of you know the devil's magic that goes on in the military, and that other people will your, your clicks will. It's easier to do. Um, and ruin your life, ruin mm-hmm. your career. Mm-hmm. So that's a misconception. If you think that your your son's going to reform school, no, absolutely not, absolutely not. Is it changing? Because I get the vibe that there's you know, and I hate the word, but man, like the there's like a, like a woke agenda. At least the public's being told, anyways, that there's somewhat of a woke agenda seeping into certain elements of the military. Do you believe that's true? Yes and no. Okay. I'm trying to put this. So, you know, back in 2000, 
14. Mm-hmm. Now, when I left the Ranger Regiment, and I went out and I ran the operations for the uh, Airborne and Ranger Training Brigade. Um, they wanted to put females through Ranger School. Mm-hmm. So this is back on the table. You know, females through Ranger School. Let's give, let's give females the opportunity to go to Ranger School. Mm-hmm. Anybody that went to Ranger School... Like I knew in '97, anybody can pass Ranger School. It's not hard. It sucks. Like if you can deal with not sleeping, not eating, walking, you know, three days straight, whatever. The physical aspect, that mental aspect of it, um, the deprivation aspect of it, you can deal with that mentally and stay healthy. You're going to pass. Okay. And. And that's the the secret, I think, that, that people don't want to – like, once you graduate ranger school, you're like, oh, this, it sucked, but it wasn't as bad. Like, mm-hmm. I wouldn't do it thinking I was going to lose both legs. I was going to be fucking mentally challenged the rest of my life. But, you know, it, it didn't. It came out, and I was like, I did it. It wasn't as bad as I thought. Yes, it sucked at the time. But, you know, as you reflect, you're like, oh, anybody can do that. Now, fast forward to 2014. You know, every year up until that point, we're the, – the, um, chief of staff would always say, hey, we're going to open it up to females. Mm-hmm. Come up with a course of action. How, what would that look like? And then it would fizzle out. You know, before, you could only go to ranger school if you were combat arms, 11, 12, or 13 series combat arms. Okay. The only element that could go to ranger school and be a cook and be you know a fire support, or not fire support, but a mechanic, it was the ranger regiment. That was the only unit in the Army, Special Operations was the only unit in the Army that could go to Ranger School without being a combat arms MOS. All right. I'm going to say mid-late 90s, they opened it up and said they opened up the MOS as more who could who could attend. Mm-hmm. And now it's anybody can mm-hmm. attend. Um, mm-hmm. So their, their thought process, let's give females the same opportunity. They're not in combat arms. But it always got pushed aside. wasn't enough wasn't enough interest on the female side, you know. So here comes 2014 or whatever year, I think 14, comes back down my pipe. Hey, come up with a way we got put for and put females into the um, okay ranger school. Okay, so I dust off the 16, you know, binders before that, and I look at the plans that they had put in place before that, and said, let's figure this out. Because uh, it's going it's prison sex. It's going to happen. We just got to figure out how bad it's going to hurt, mm-hmm. and and that's mm-hmm. what we did. We we put a plan together, and and did I agree with it? Absolutely not. Uh, there's no. I did not think that there was a benefit of having females go to ranger school, mm-hmm. but I didn't care. That's not my job to right. agree or disagree. It's my job to execute whatever I'm it. told. Right. And as long as I keep it where the standards remain the same. And they pass the same way I did, you know, 30 years ago, or the same way, you know, your grandchild does 30 years from now, uh, then so be it. Um, but everybody wanted their hands in the pot. So everybody decided that, you know, the standard was going to change when they found out. We we're going to let, you know, relax the standards. We we're going to fall apart. And females, you know, blah, blah, blah. So I took a big hit, especially on social media about that, about, you know, females going to ranger school. They thought I was. I left ranger regiment. I I was. I was a go-to guy. I was doing anything for my career. If anybody knew me, 
I, I really don't give a shit about my career. I don't give a shit what people think about me. And I damn sure I'm not going to do something that jeopardizes my morality for the career just to get a piece of cloth for some female. I don't give a shit mm-hmm. um, enough about that. Um, but I was one that allows voices disagreeing with it. But I didn't, you know, nobody's in the office or in the, you know, the, the uh, hall when I'm discussing why we shouldn't be doing this. Okay. All they see is these females going through. Well, now, you know, like I said, fast forward 2014, it, who was the number one UFC fighter in the world, pound for pound? It was fucking Ronda Rousey. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Or whatever. Yeah. It was right yep. around that time. Yep. So you're one of the greatest athletes as a female. CrossFit's like taking off. Females are crushing everything in, in every aspect of the world. Mm-hmm. So fuck it. Let's give them a chance. It's Ranger School. It's a piece of cloth. It's a school. Right. It's not combat. It's a school. Right. No, I think they went about it wrong. I think they put the cart in front of the horse. I think if they were going to do it and get it, and they were going to get credibility for it, they should have put the females into combat arms and them go through OSIT training, through infantry training, to any pathway that a male went through. Okay. Like if they're going to go to, let them go to basic training, infantry basic training, let them go through infantry, you know, AIT, which is OSIT. Yeah. yeah. Um, on through or basic training in infantry AIT airborne school let them take that same pipeline anybody else did okay and then they go to infantry unit they prove themselves or any unit prove themselves and then they can go to ranger school they didn't do that they kind of put the you know the cart in front of the horse and and put them straight to ranger school the two two graduated that year right was that right three 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 graduated two um two in one class and then later on that 34 year old lady from the okay and it so, you know, they went in there and I got it to where the standard didn't change, I assure you. I believe not one, Not at all. That, to the point where I wanted them to shave their head. Like, that, you know, but when you look at it, you really didn't have to shave your head. There's no, I didn't have to shave my head 30 years ago to go to ranger school. But what we do is we shave your head, take your rank, we break you down, we make sure. nobody's better than nobody. We all look the same. We sure. all have the same shit on our chest. We're sure. nothing. And we break you down, we build you up into a ranger. And that's what the school's supposed to do. And uh, when it got to the point, like I would go out to certain aspects of the training, and I wouldn't even be able to tell the females from the males. They they went for the short hair sand, but they, you shave your head, right? Three days from now, you gotta shave it again. Right. So everybody looks the same anyway. So, right, 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 so right. whether they have the short hair standard, where they buzz it, where they you know quarter inch, or whether it's just slicked doesn't matter in two days yeah it said the hair standard was irrelevant my point is i didn't know anybody different that was a road march coming you know i wouldn't know if it was a male or female i would i would only know when they called off the roster number and i'm like oh that was a female coming in first place got it so what what, if one of the females that graduated won the road march against every all the males and now we're sitting there saying they don't deserve it and they bullshit Right. So in that aspect, I don't give what isn't earned, but I'm not going to take what's deserved. Mm-hmm. And and they deserve it. They pass. Mm-hmm. They pass. And I I know in my heart of hearts, it was 100%. Mm-hmm. Standard was the same. If not, that class was harder than my class. But fast forward from 14, 14-ish to now. Like, is uh, – let me just put it this way has post 2020 wokeness pretty extreme now is that starting to seep in so the female aspect of it going into combat arms 
came at the right time because the war is dying down. Mm-hmm. You know, let's make this decision now. You know, we're not putting all these females in these infantry units or go to war units. They're always been females have been going and mm-hmm. deploying. You know, and I hate to use the word front line, you know, because female there's female truck drivers, there's female, sure. you know, MPs sure. and security, and they've always been out there, but but not in the numbers of what what it would be if they were in the combat arms, right? If that makes sense. Yeah. Um, but I think the time came right where it was dying down, um, so we can make this happen. We can make this change happen without society seeing all these females coming back, you know, in body bags and coming back and and you know amputees or you know because no matter what, they're still mothers. They're still absolutely the, our the future of this country, of the world. Like without a female, one hundred percent, we can't make more rangers. So. Um, it's just yeah, it's just, that's a that's a maneuver, man. That was an administration right. maneuver for sure. And, and and that's my opinion. That's only my opinion. Right. But it, and at the, at the two females that graduated, are awesome. Yep, I believe it. Oh man, but they weren't your run of the mill soldiers either. They were West Point graduates. They were one was a MP, physically an animal. Um, the other was a you know Apache pilot, very successful already in their career fields. Um, that decided that hey we're very, well, we want to try this and they they did, and they they did it very good, very expertly. Now the that's the female aspect of it. Right. Everything else though, it, when you look at the wokeness and the repeal of the don't ask, don't tell, mm-hmm. that's. Nobody gave a shit. Mm-hmm. Nobody gives a shit what you do. I mean, you're never going to stop bigotry. You're never going right. to stop right. hate at some level. Somebody always going to have that, but the vast majority isn't. But that's all, that goes around the entire s- surface. Mm-hmm. That goes both sides coming at you and going away from you. Um the repeal of don't ask, don't tell is irrelevant to me because it didn't matter what you did when right. bullets are flying. It doesn't matter what you do when we're training, you're left or right. It doesn't matter. It, it doesn't. And I, I think at some point, one of the, uh, I'm, I can't, I'm not going to say what that. There's some unit in the Army in, in a special operations realm. This was back in the 90s where a very successful kid got out and he was doing some interview in the paper I don't remember what it was but it come out that he was gay everybody knew he was gay mm-hmm. everybody did of course but nobody gave a shit yeah, right but then you could see where the interview was trying to push him to say you were you know you were chastised you were you know you were outcasted and he was like no I wasn't he goes I was gay I couldn't be openly gay but I was gay and everybody knew it and the most alpha male dominant of units in the military and nobody gave a shit and that was like his kind of testimonial say it doesn't matter what you do in your life as long as you do your job and you treat people with respect it's going to go a long way and well, the world should run like that right overall the whole entire world should run that it way. should it should it's, it's a novel idea the the feelings thing is funny because you said we're living in our feelings now like we're just the world's more about feelings and facts and you're so right, right i believe but that feelings 
can't overrun the military. I mean, it can't. It's not feelings first in the military. It can't be. You're right, but it, I mean, it's it's there. Well, in it's terms there. of like order, you know, when I see a young person, let's I say young, let's say the teens or early twenties, and I see the belligerence, the law authority to a, to elders maybe living on their block, let alone law enforcement. So if I see that's a proliferation where it just seems like we're constantly disrespecting authority. That can't happen in the military. Without the order, there is no military, right? Am I right? Am I, am I, mean, I saying, am I saying this right? It can't happen. It happens. It, well, it can't be allowed to happen and continue, right? I mean, it's, I mean, in some aspect, I mean, in some aspects, the animal runs the zoo. Then the military? Some aspects. Huh. Okay. And you, it, there's a lot of times you. And I saw it as like you grow on, but sometimes a private or lower enlisted or lower, you know, isn't worth your career. And it's oh, okay. So it's okay, okay. In that regard, they can do say it gets to the point where it was probably acceptable twenty years ago that now you're 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 just going to throw away eighteen years of your military career. It's not worth it, right? I think people at that, my generation, maybe a little younger, it's a learning curve. It's a, it's and it's a leadership challenge. It's something you got to figure out how you're going to deal with with this new generation, this new society, and how how to deal with stuff like that. And and that leadership style, sugar versus salt. Like you can't go in there and have the same leadership style for everybody in every organization. But it's it's definitely. There's definitely the animals running the zoo in some aspects. So I would never thought that, but now that you explain it that way, yeah. In terms of uh, what their superiors have at stake, if they they push back or try to correct something, it might not be worth it to them, right? Then, and what, of what they would say is probably <clears throat> their vision of how to deal with it. So that curve had to come in pretty pretty steep in the last few years with the military. Okay, I wouldn't be surprised by that. Yeah, the timing of all that. Right. For sure. Did you have fun, man? I'm having a great time. It's great. <laughs> I just hope – I, I want to wrap this up, but I'm, I, I want to make sure I phrase this right. I get a lot of guests on here, and when we talk about – or even on our panel shows, we talk about you know the state of 2023 and mm. a lot of pessimism. Like People look at see that society's scary to them or it's broken or they see crime oftentimes exaggerated in the media, um, I think. But there's a lot of pessimism. Do you look at America still um, with the same reverence and love for what this country – was founded on and stands for or has it changed a little bit for you over the years of your service and since you've been out no i still look at that as saying it's, it's the people that run the country it's the people that that you look different okay the, the, the country itself is always going to be the country itself you're always going to have pride in the flag pride in the country what I don't have pride in is the people they put in positions that run this country. Mm-hmm. That's the issue. It's not the country. It's the people that are running it. 
And it's, it goes on both sets. Like, I'm not going to cast shade on, mm-hmm. you know, one side or the other side. We're, mm-hmm. We can't we can't do anything fucking together. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so whether, you know, if, every, if you're a Trump supporter and you're looking at how what Trump did and you think that, you know, he did X, Y, and Z, well, he probably could have done A, B, C, D, E, F, G to go with that mm-hmm. had he not been fighting every step of the way. Mm-hmm. Or like, you know, go back to Bush. Like, everybody's mad about Iraq. Was it right or wrong? Who cares? Gave me, gave me a career. Mm-hmm. That's why I joined the military. Um, you know, Biden's administration, you know, you can't really s- s- say much about it. I mean, it's, it's like a black hole with his, anything he does or says. But, you know, do I want him to fail? Fuck no. Of course not. I think more Americans need to get that perspective. And that's, that's where, like, you know, 350 million people in this country. Mm-hmm. And we fucking put mm-hmm. certain people up for vote. It's... It's ridiculous. Like, what the fuck? Put somebody better there. If you, if we really care, and it's not about, you know, politicizing something or, you know, pushing agendas. Put the fucking best person up, and it it, it could be the fucking dude that works down the union mart. It doesn't need to be a career politician to run this country, at all. You have advisors at every level. Mm-hmm. You have to have a level head, sound mind, mm-hmm. and understand what's best for this country. Yeah, Trump, I thought at the time, was good for the country because he's a businessman. And he saw Afghanistan and the mm-hmm. war that we're doing as a business. And it, he said, look, this isn't – we're not fucking making money. We're losing money. And I, I thought he was the right guy to say, hey, we're going to pull out. He did. He he mm-hmm. basically had to plan to pull out of Afghanistan. Mm-hmm. Very sound plan, I might add, because don't forget I was there. Um, so it – it's it's worked if they could just work together to make something right like instead of fucking trying to hide shit under different bills or doing this like we're broke as a country big time with the people but not the country itself so i I don't look at it any different just work together why don't we have more military leaders seeking public office we don't have a lot on on the national (laughs) prestige level uh, on on the bigger i mean even if who the fuck want to now at this point? That's good. It's a, it's a good answer. If I sat there and I whether whatever party I decide to run for, I already know I'm automatically you're automatically gonna get shit on by the other one. Yeah, half, it, it half the matter. country already hates you. Right. It doesn't matter if I do ten good things. They're only gonna highlight the bad things. You know, they they always say like, you know, one aw shit will fuck up, you know, ten data boys. So you can do 10 good things. How many times do you sit there and tell people at work, you know, hey, do you don't talk to them until they fuck up? And you're like, hey, you fucked this up. What's wrong with you? Do you go around and tell them good job daily? Or do you tell them thank you daily? Should no, you be. Only, you, only, you only acknowledge something when it's fucked up. Good point. So maybe we should start saying, hey, good job. Thank you for what you did today. Rather than, holy fuck, what, you screwed that entire thing up. You brought the wrong order, da, da, da. That that's what society's used to right now right. of getting scolded rather than praised. It's a and good for what point, Colin. That's a good point. That's so, a good point. And until we feel realize, you know, this we're going to take this ship to the bottom of the fucking ocean if we don't figure it out. You optimistic or pessimistic right I'm, now? I'm, I'm optimistic because I don't care. Because I worry in my my world. I worry about my world. You can only put your sphere of influence right and affect that. 
That's a good good lesson. The rheostat model, you know, the rheostat. Yeah. You know, your thermostat. Thermostat. Yeah. You know, you have three of them. You have to, you can't put all of them on fucking hundred. You got to understand where you can put each one to make it realistic. Exactly. You can only have so many things you can make successful. Exactly right. Only bite off what you can fix or chew. Don't try to take too much. You're going to fail at all of them. Be successful at three things rather than be fucked up at ten. So one major lesson you learned from your service, amongst probably a shit ton of them, but one major lesson you learned, and let's just—I'll cover it by this way. But in terms of dealing with other people. Don't judge a book by its cover. Didn't expect that. Don't judge a book. Yeah. Greatness comes in all shapes and sizes. All packages. All packages. I've seen people where you just look at them and you're like, this guy's going to be just a disaster. <laughs> and he's the next fucking Audie Murphy. You know, he's, uh, he's the next Ralph Puckett. He's the next, uh-huh. you know, greatest thing ever. And it, but nobody would have gave him that shake. Nobody's just looking at him. Said never, you know, greatness comes everywhere. Don't, don't, don't shit him to the side because he doesn't look the part. All right, you're a pit fan. We're gonna wrap this up. Uh, is Kenny Pickett the man or what? Yeah, for the Steelers. You think? Yeah, I, I, you're a huge, I think we you're a threw him in the fan. fire. I think we <laughs> threw him in the fire a little bit early. I let you know. I look at it this way. This was a rebuilding year. We, I think, we got Trubisky and we needed Trubisky at the time. And we still needed to go for Pickett to be the franchise, the right. face of the franchise. But like I said, let Trubisky run this. Figure out what the team wants to do. Let a, um, Pickett have a year to mm-hmm. watch, mm-hmm. learn. That's what I thought was going to happen. It should have. You know, let Trubisky take the ship down. <laughs> and and we knew it was. I mean, yeah. we end up picking yeah. it up at the end of the season, but. Um, and that's because I think the the team started to mold a little bit. The yeah. talent we have is ridiculous. We have amazing talent, but when you have amazing individual talent and they can't bring it together as a team, and I think we figured that out later on this season. And I think so. We just came up a little short. We, we played the way we did at the end of the season and the beginning of the season. We we you know we'd have had that bad call in the Super Bowl. Agreed. <laughs> I, I I would like to have seen that. You and I are going to go to Steeler game, buddy. That's oh, yeah. what I'm making it. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, tell me when. I'll get yeah, it. Yeah, for sure. I appreciate this, bud. I appreciate and, having you. I, I would love for you to come back and love for you to be on some panel shows here, too. If I, you would, wanna. I would love that, too. All right. Anytime. I'm holding to that. All right. I live here, buddy. You tell me when. Right, right down the road. That's it. All right, friends. We're out. Call him bully. <laughs>